I'm not a big social media guy. I don't really have social media. Um, but what I've noticed, and I do read some things on Twitter, but what I've noticed is there seems to be two dominant social media platforms. There's Twitter and there's Instagram. And Twitter is total depravity. It's like everything that's wrong. You read it and it's like, oh my goodness, the world is a dumpster fire. And then you go on Instagram and it's a parade of prosperity. Like everything's awesome, right? Like they're just like totally different from each other. So um, I went on our webs, our Instagram account, because I don't have one. And I just want to see what happens if I typed in hashtag blessed. How many Instagram are tagged with hashtag blessed? So this was about a week and a half ago. 147 million, 875,724 posts are titled hashtag blessed. Now, what do you think Instagram means when we put hashtag blessed? It's vacations. It's ladies with not quite enough clothing on. It's a beach and a beverage in your hand. It's athletes with guns and quads and pec muscles, right? We're going to bump you up. It's Robert Kennedy at Venice Beach. It's my Ferrari, hashtag blessed. So when you look at Instagram, which is like this blanket covering of the world, when you see hashtag blessed on Instagram, it's fun, money, comfort, right? It's doing what you want. It's high self-esteem. It's sex. It's influence. It's power. It's put-togetherness. That's Instagram hashtag blessed. We're starting a series, and we began it last week. It's titled, The Gospel of the Kingdom. And in their introduction last week, we saw, like, we did a quick scan of the, most of the Old Testament, just as fast as you can. And what you see is the gospel of the kingdom is the culmination of a lot of disappointment in people. That people really are two things in the Old Testament. They are unreliable and they are stupid or, or unwise. You can use whichever term you choose to use. If you're nice, you say unwise. If you're cruel like me, you say stupid. Right? So that's what we saw, just a ton of that. Jesus comes pronouncing the solution to all the Old Testament disappointment and unreliability because he is going to live the way life is supposed to be lived, reliably and with wisdom. And he's going to give us a glimpse of life from a heavenly angle. That's what he's going to do. So imagine for a second that Jesus had an Instagram account what would it look like? You don't have to guess. We have it in the very beginning of the message that I call the gospel of the kingdom. You can call the Sermon on the Mount. Check this out. This is Jesus's hashtag blessed. Chapter five, verse one. Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain and when he sat down, his disciples came to him and he opened his mouth and taught them saying, Hashtag blessed. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. 
Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Hashtag blessed. Not very popular. Jesus' Instagram account is gonna get 12 followers. And one of them is a troll, right? That's what's gonna happen. <laughs> the word blessed there, you probably know this, I've said it, it's the Greek word, makarios. It was literally used by the Greeks to describe the bliss of the gods on Mount Olympus. So that's this state. It's the best state you could possibly imagine. And what Jesus is doing right here with this is this is called an attention getter. He's using the classic speech technique, which is real simple. It's, hey, you, so what? Hey, get people's attention. You, make it about them, why they, why it's, why it's, why they should listen, and then so what, what to do with it. He's doing that right here. This opener would be a, what is he saying is the blessed life, Right? His beatitudes, blessings, flourishings, recipe for happiness is what? He's saying, blessed are the poor, the grieving, the powerless, the hungry, the thirsty, the people getting the snot kicked out of them, hashtag blessed. Do we believe that? Any Christian author out there writing a book that is your best life now is being a poor slob, powerless, starving, doormat for the world. That's how you get your best life now. Anyone writing that book? Because I haven't read it yet, and I do read a lot of Christian books, right? It's amazing to me. I don't think we really believe this. And what you see in this is there's really three categories. It's first stuff that happens to you. That you're not in control of, it just happens to you. And the second is how you respond. And then the thirdly is what bad people will do to you. Life, you, and bad people, <laughs> that's it. And Jesus says, during all this, hashtag blessed. You're blessed life now. The only question is, do we believe it? Do we believe the Instagram life? That's the way you get to happiness? Do we believe Mark Zuckerberg or do we believe the gospel of the kingdom and that the Savior Jesus actually knows the route to the blessed life? That's the question. So let's just work through a couple of these. Well, all of them, in fact. Number one, it's in this first group that is stuff that just happens to you. Life happens to you. It's the state of life, right? You don't choose this. It just kind of, this is the way things are. No choice in it. The first is blessed are the poor in spirit. The Greek has a ton of words for poor. Jesus could have chose any of them, 
The word that's used here, it sounds like when you spit, because that's what it is. It's literally, the Greek is pachoi. It's just, you're not worth anything. I spit on you. That's how poor you are. Blessed are those, the pachuis in spirit. It's you've lost whatever you thought made you special, whatever you would justify yourself by. I work harder than anyone else. I'm a bigger victim than anyone else, which is the modern virtue. I tithe better. I fast better. I read my Bible more. Whatever it is, it's whatever you had clung to that made you better. Now it's bankrupt. You don't have it anymore. Life has brought you low for chewing. Have you heard of a guy named Jacob? Really, really important guy in the Bible. His sons become the 12 tribes of Israel. If you don't know his story, Jacob had a twin brother that was born just before him. His name Esau. You know what Esau means? Harry. Esau was born. He came out. The midwife looked at him and said, Harry, right? He was a 10-pound Sasquatch, right? Had enough testosterone at day one to grow a hairy pelt, right? When Jacob is deceiving his dad, blind dad, that he's Esau, he straps goat skins to his arm to trick his dad. That's how hairy Esau is, as hairy as a goat. I mean, this guy has way too much testosterone. He grows up and he's the crazy man. He's the hunter, four-wheel driver, burning stuff in the woods, eating hamburger helper out of a big aluminum pot. He's that guy. Just whoa, right? NASCAR is the only sport there is. He's that dude. Jacob, it says, was a man of the tents. He didn't do the outdoor thing. He went to New York City, went to culinary school, right? It's Don Perignon with some gray poupon, right? That's what he is. He's 100%, right? He plays polo with a V-neck shirt with way too much V. Bro, button it up, man. No one wants to see that. He's that dude, right? This is Mr. Rogers meets Ted Nugent, right? And their family, like there's going to be problems. Jacob, the culinary dude, decides he is going to lie and steal from Sasquatch, his brother. If there's one person I'm not messing with, it's a boy that was born as Sasquatch. I'm just not going to do that. But Jacob thinks he can do it because he's that kind of guy. Well, Esau gets mad and says, I'm going to kill you. So Jacob has to pack up his stuff and flee the wrath, the murdering wrath of his older brother Esau. And he goes 500 miles across the desert, starts over there, gets a family, gets some wives, but Jacob is still up to his bad stuff. Ends up 20 years across the desert. He burns the bridge with his wife's family. And now his wife's dad, his father-in-law wants to kill him, right? So now he has to flee back across the desert to get away from the dad that wants to kill him. So as he's coming across, he gets news that Sasquatch, Esau, is coming with 400 armed men. Oh no, he is doomed. Doomed. He burned all the bridges with his family when he was young. Now he's burned all the bridges with his wife's family, right? He's treated his older brother as a bum, and that guy's coming to kill him with 400 men. And this happens at this river called Jabok. Do you know what Jabok means in the Hebrew? It means 
emptying because Jacob was empty. He is patchouli. He had nothing now. And he wrestles with God there. You know the story. Wrestles with God. And it says he clung to God. And what did he say? I will not let you go until you bless me. At what place? The place of emptying. When he had no other choice. Jesus is saying, blessed are you when you get to the river Jabbok in your life. When everything you thought you had that made you unique and special has been stripped from you and you know there's only one that can bless you. Blessed are you. What do you get? The payoff is the kingdom of heaven. Who rules in America right now? It's the Instagrammers. It's the top people, right? Jesus says, in the economy that's coming, the good news of the kingdom is this, that those who realize in their flesh there dwells no good thing, those that have been to the river Jabbok and realize it's God alone, those are the ones that are going to inherit. Those are the ones that are going to get the kingdom of heaven. Crazy, huh? Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. The word mourn in the Greek is real. There's about nine different words for mourning. This is that word that it's the guttural mourning when it's just, you, you can't do anything but you just cry out in agony. That's this word, blessed are those that mourn. It's when you've lost something that you love. Even more than death, it's the marriage that you lost. And you're just, your guts hurt from it. It's the child that you raised and you loved and now they're lost to addiction. You get a phone call about them and it's that, oh, that morning, I could have done more. I should have done more. What was wrong with me, right? It's that state of mourning. I'm 51, not too old, not too young, kind of, you know, right there. Here's what I've learned. Success is an okay teacher. Pain is a brilliant professor. That's what I've learned. Success grows flowers. Oh, they're pretty, it's nice. Pain grows redwood trees. That's what I've realized. It's when you come and you mourn. Okay, now there's a chance. Now there's a chance. And what's the payoff? The payoff is comfort. This is the first tangible thing that you can kind of put your finger on that's Okay, I can get that. I can see that. The kingdom of heaven, we'll see, is actually bookends to this whole section. Comfort is the first tangible, like, oh, okay, you get some comfort. Right on. What does that mean about life? It means you're going to require a lot of comfort in this life. That's what it means. It's going to be brutal and bad. There's going to be lots of mourning. And what you and I are going to need most is comfort. When Jesus sends his spirit, what does Jesus call the spirit? my comforter, because life is going to make you mourn. That's what's going to happen. Here's the best news of all, though. It's the end of the book, Revelation 21, verse 4. I probably read this every other memorial service I do. This is God. God will dwell with them. They will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear. Because there's going to be a lot of mourning. 
every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. Happy day that will be. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Perhaps you've seen or heard this word meek translated as strength under control. That's not what Jesus is saying here. That's not the context at all. Like a stallion that's been broken, that's meek, strength under control. That's not what Jesus meant. So let me read for you a definition from a Bible dictionary. Remember, this is Jesus, culmination of 39 books of the Old Testament, Hebrew literature, Hebrew ideas. So this is the definition. Maybe, there it is. Meek, this is from a Bible dictionary. Powell, you can look it up. Meek, a quality with different meanings in Jewish and Greek contexts. It's a Jewish Hebrew context. In the Hebrew tradition, the meek, anawim, are virtually synonymous with the oppressed. The term is generally descriptive of a social condition, lack of power, rather than a virtue. It's a lack of power. We've made it into a virtue. I'm meek. I'm a stallion under control. No, that's not what Jesus is saying here. Right, it's like when you go to the interview for the job and they're say, they say, what's your, what's your biggest weakness? And you know, my biggest weakness is I work too hard, right? That's what people do to this word. That's not at all what's happening here. The weak is this, it's you've lost all power. I had shoulder surgery and for about two months, I couldn't use it. It was not a choice that happened to me. I did not like it. It wasn't strength under control. It was, I have zero power right now. This is a bummer. That's this idea. It's you lose power. It's you lost your job. You lost your health. Your mortgage is past due. Eviction letters are coming. That's it. You've lost power. You can't do anything. You're behind the eight ball and you can't get away. Power today is everything, isn't it? What can, you, what can power get you? Everything. Look at the halls of Congress. They use power to get anything that they want. Sex, money, influence, you name it. Power's it. Jesus says, blessed are those that have no power. Life has put you in circumstances where you've got zero. What's the payoff? For they shall inherit the earth. Who gets the earth today? The powerful, right? That's who inherits the earth today. Jesus is taking conventional wisdom and he's turning it on its head. Because conventional wisdom gives us the Old Testament of unreliable, unwise, stupid decisions that bring more and more pain to people. So Jesus is taking that and saying, there's a different way. There's a better way to live. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Can you force yourself to be hungry? Can you force yourself to be thirsty? No. Something happens to you, you don't eat food and you get an appetite to get hungry. You don't drink some water so you get thirsty, right? Life happens to you. Conditions of life lead to appetites. This appetite, Jesus says, is an appetite for 
righteousness. The word righteous, especially the way that Matthew uses it, is the desire for right relationships. Right relationship with God, and right relationship with people. Loving God with all your heart, mind, and soul, and loving your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus says, blessed are those that are desperate for that. That life, the conditions of life have made them desperate for right relationship with God and with people. It's a single mom raising kids, desperate for right relationship. Desperate for right relationship with God. Wondering if marriage is ever in our future. Wondering, overwhelmed by the circumstances of life. Desperate for things to be right. Ah, it's that. It's that desperation. It's a man whose addictions have driven him to destroy his family and his kids. And he hates who he's becoming. And he has a desperation for right relationship. Burned every bridge that there is. That's his appetite. And what does Jesus promise? You'll be satisfied. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. You know what's interesting? When you've lost the appetite for food, when you've lost the appetite to drink, what does that mean? It means you're standing on death's doorstep. I've walked with enough people through death the final stage is you don't want to eat anything and you don't want to drink anything. You've lost all appetite. That means you're dead. As spiritually alive people, we are to have this hunger and thirst all the time. We should be hungry and thirsting after right relationship with God and man. So those are the first group. Just life happens to you. The second group is partnershiping and how we respond. Life's hard? Okay, how do you respond? Number one, blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Mercy is real simple. It's being generous to the miserable, undeserving people. That's mercy. So how do you and I become the kind of people that are merciful? Because it's not natural. A number of years ago, about eight or nine, I was reading the little epistle of Jude. And verse 21 just stuck out at me because it says this. It says, looking, this is King James, which I was reading back then, looking for the mercy of Jesus. I remember I just highlighted that and circled it. Looking for the mercy of Jesus. Being mindful of his mercy. That it's an attitude of life. Are we mindful of his mercy? And right when I was thinking about that, I had an opportunity to be mindful of his mercy. So I had this little motorcycle, TS-185, 1975 Suzuki. Little two-stroke, cute little bike. Didn't go fast, which is really good for me. Sounded like a weed eater, like two-stroke. So I'd drive through town and be like, what is that? So is that a, is that a mosquito? What's going on? So great bike for me, um, driven it to work that day. I was driving at home, it was like four o'clock. And as I drive home, there's this 
place where all three roads come together and it forms this kind of dirt triangle with a telephone pole on it. And there's this mound of dirt that these kids will take their BMX bikes and they'll jump their BMX bikes on it. So I'm buzzing along at little 50 miles per hour and I see these boys who had just been jumping this jump and they're on their BMX bikes and they're just kind of standing, sitting there next to their BMX bikes. And at the last minute, I had this thought, which is a very dangerous thing I'm noticing in my life. That when I have these thoughts, I should stop and pray and really think about the consequences of what I'm going to do. But I don't usually. So I had this thought. I said in my head, I'm going to show those boys something they'll never forget. <laughs> yep. So I decided I was going to hit that jump, but I was going too fast. So I did try to do this S, turn right, turned over to the jump, and then I tried to straighten the bike out, but I didn't get the bike straightened out in time to hit the jump. So if you have ridden motorcycles, you know, that's a bad thing because you just kind of get launched in the position that you're going. So I get launched and the bike's going sideways and then my front tire hits right where the gravel and decomposed granite had spread out onto the road. So it was like landing on marbles. So my front tire is just sliding out and I'm thinking tree, ditch, that's what's gonna happen to me. But the last possible moment, my front tire hooked up, launched me back onto the road and I drove away. I just threw my hands in the air and went, yeah! I looked in the rear view mirror. Both those kids are like, yeah. <laughs> I gave them something they'll never forget. So what I did. And as I'm driving home much slower, into my head came Jude 21, looking for the mercy of Jesus. I should be on a mercy flight. Instead, I'm heading home. Thank you. Jesus. How do you become someone that's merciful? You just start looking throughout your life how he has been so merciful to you. Man, the wife that I have, the kids that I have, the home that I have, the food on my table, I'm not deserving this. Are you kidding me? God, you have been so good to me. And you get in the flow. The best river to be on in the world is to be in the flow of God's mercy. Jude 21, that's how. Looking for the mercy of Jesus. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the poor in heart, for they shall see God. Anyone in here pure in heart? Yeah, right? Like, good luck with that one. It seems impossible to me. So, Myron, he's my youngest son. He is an amazing young man. Kind, compassionate, considerate, fun, just absolute great kid. Raised differently than all my other children because he was born six years after my youngest. So Carissa, my oldest, was over 13 and a half, almost 14 years old when he was born. So he's had these older three sisters that have just doted on him and loved on him. And I, didn't, I was surprised he walked because he, he, he would just point and people would carry him wherever he wanted to go, right? Just this little pharaoh, like, so just totally great kid. And if anyone could have a pure heart, it was Myron. Well, 18 months of age, we brought in our first foster kids, three-year-old boy, five-and-a-half-year-old girl. And they came into our home, raised in a different environment than Myron. Very different. So within an hour of this three-year-old boy, Myron's 18 months old, within an hour of it, Myron had done something that this three-year-old decided was not right. 
So this three-year-old is in Myron's face, like an inch from his face, screaming at the top of his lungs, no, 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 to Myron. Myron hasn't heard the word no in his entire life. He was just looking at the ground going, oh, right? So I grabbed the three-year-old. I'm like, hey, bro, you can't do it that way. Feeling really bad for Myron until a day later. When the three-year-old is, we have this retaining wall. It's about four feet tall. So to a three-year-old, that's like 100 feet, right? So he is at this retaining wall, like looking over the edge, like, like scared, like, whoa, that is really high. Myron is sneaking up behind him. Yep, you know where this is going, right? Sneaks up behind him, kicks him right in the back of the knee, you know where you buckle? So the kid buckles, falls off, and is like clinging to the cliff, screaming. Myron doesn't know I'm looking. He turns around with a giant smile on his face. I'm like, okay, you're not even pure in heart, man. You were the best we had. <laughs> and you didn't make it. Great. Notice, it does not say perfect in heart. Jesus could have put that there. Here's what I believe pure means. Pure means you're honest with God. You're not playing games with God. You're trying to trick God. You're telling God exactly how you feel. That's what pure in heart is. It's sincere. God, this is how I feel. I don't know why I feel this way, but I'm pure in heart. I'm not playing games with you. I'm being honest about where I actually am. That's what I think it is. And what's the payoff? You see God. Who wants to see God? Right? Isn't that's the heart of every person? Do you know that? Because in Eden, we had it. We walked and we talked in the cool of the garden with God, but we've been exiled ever since. And there's been this drumbeat of people that knew God and said, I just want to see you. Exodus 34, Moses, let me just see you. Let me see your glory. The psalmist, Psalm 17, when I awake and see you, then I'll be satisfied. Philip, one of the disciples, walked with Jesus for three and a half years. What does Philip say? Show us the Father and it will suffice. Because the human heart is tuned in, tuned in to see Dad. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. My heart isn't pure. I know that. Here's the good news of the kingdom. Jeremiah saw what Jesus was bringing. And this is what Jeremiah the prophet says. It's Jeremiah 31. I will put my law within them and I will write it on their hearts. And I will be their God and they shall be my people. And no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each his brother saying, no Yahweh, but they shall all know me from the least of them to the greatest declares Yahweh for I will forgive their iniquity and I'll remember their sin no more. That's the gospel of the kingdom. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. Notice it does not say, blessed are the peaceful. It doesn't say that. It doesn't say, blessed are those that love peace and drive Volkswagen vans. It doesn't say that. It says, blessed are the peacemakers. Are we peacemakers? 
In our home, when we come home, do we make peace in our home? Or do we cause problems? At our workplace, do people know that we're going to make peace there? Or do we cause problems? In our marriages, are we peacemakers? When we drive our cars, yeah, <laughs> that's as hard as it gets. Are we peacemakers in the way that we drive our cars? Blessed are the peacemakers, those that lessen tensions, those that seek solutions, those that are always trying to clarify their communication and make sure people understand correctly what's going on, those that die to themselves. Shut up the little lawyer in your head that's constantly trying to like out-argue people and win arguments all the time. No, be quiet. I'm here to make peace, not win an argument. Jesus says, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons, the huios, the adult mature, ones inheriting the whole kingdom, those kind of people. Blessed are they. You know why? Because God is the ultimate peacemaker. When we make peace, we look like our dad. That's what it's saying. And then finally, Jesus expounds on this one. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets and those who were before you. Why? Are these people getting persecuted? Is it their politics? No. Is it because they're nut jobs? Nope. They're being persecuted on account of Jesus. That's why they're being persecuted. I think sometimes we get persecuted because we're jerks, because we're arrogant, graceless souls that people hate. And we can't say, well, you know, I'm being persecuted. No, you're not. No, I'm not. It's because I'm an arrogant jerk. That's why I'm being persecuted. I got to own that. It's I get persecuted when I'm saying who Jesus is and standing up for that. That he is the way and the truth and the life and no man comes to the Father by, but by him. When people call you intolerant, okay, that's the persecution being talked about here. It's for his sake, for his name. That's why. What does Jesus say when that happens? Because we live in a culture now, if you're standing up for who Jesus really is, not the pretend Jesus that's being put out there, when you stand up for who Jesus really is, you're gonna be contrary to culture. So what does Jesus say you and I should do when we're persecuted? Rejoice and be glad. <laughs> Why? Because they can't cancel you. They can't take away from you what actually matters because Jesus says, great is reward in heaven. When you think that way, you're unstoppable. You're unbreakable. Do you know that? You can't cancel me. You can't take away anything that matters for me. And you're, you're impervious to it. You're bulletproof. It reminds me of the, the story I read. It's from about 60 plus years ago. 
in Romania. There was this massive revival that was happening inside the Soviet Union at that time, and the Soviet Union is atheist, so they sent the KGB down to Romania. They rounded up the ringleader pastors, brought them into a room and said this, if you keep preaching Jesus, we will kill you. And they knew they were serious because they'd already done it. And one of the pastors stood up in the back and just said this, do you threaten me with glory? Yeah. The KGB just left because they didn't have anything. Kill me. Great is my reward in heaven. Man, they can't cancel you. They can't touch you when you have this attitude. It's amazing. They got nothing. The best weapon we have against our culture is to live rejoicing, glad, brilliant lives. You know that? To build homes and to plant gardens and to love our kids and to be merciful and pure-hearted and peacemakers because they can't take that from you. That's the best weapon we have. See, Jesus says this is the route to blessedness. The only question is, do we believe it? And who would have loved, who would have loved these beatitudes 2,000 years ago? Who's his audience? Is it the Instagrammer influencer with 100 million followers? No. It's the outcasts and the overlooked and the depressed and the sad and the lonely and the failed and the mourning and the spiritually bankrupt. And if we're honest, it's us. And we should rejoice in this. And notice this, the blessings, they're all byproducts. Do you see that? The Beatitudes, however you want to translate this word, blessing, flourishing, happiness, you can't get it by trying to get it, right? It's called second-hand effects, second-order effects. It happens when you're not trying to get it. They follow after you, right? First-order effects are real easy to see. You do something, and there's an instant result from it, and they're tied together. All right, I'll give you an example. Let's say, for example, I decide I want bigger biceps, but let's be honest. They're big enough already, so... Now, what would I do to get bigger biceps? Curls, right? One to one. You do curls, you get bigger muscles, right? That's a first order effect. Second order effect is not like that at all. It's hard to actually determine because they're a byproduct of something else. You're like, oh, wow, that happened. I didn't know that was going to happen. That's second order effects. That's the Beatitudes, right? That there's no one that can wake up and be like, I'm going to do a happiness exercise this morning. Really? What are you going to do? There's no such thing. It doesn't exist. Like people that say, I just got to do what makes me happy. I say, you're a moron because you are clueless. You can't do what makes you happy. You don't know how to make yourself happy. No one does. That's why there's billions of books made about it. Jesus says, it's a second order effect. If you live your life like this, happiness will chase you down. That's what's going to happen. It's a second order effect. Start living like a peacemaker. Start being pure in heart. Start being merciful. Mourn. And what happens is, second order effect, all of a sudden, you're happy and flourishing and blessed. That's what happens. If you read these, there's only one person that ever lived them well. It's the king. It's Jesus. And here's the good news. Here's what we believe. We believe that the king is returning with this kingdom. That's what we believe. And hope cannot be diminished by this, right? 
That our thing should not be hashtag blessed. Our thing as believers, as good as life can be for us, our thing as believers should always be this, hashtag the best is yet to come. Because the king is returning with a kingdom that's abundant and beautiful and brilliant. And he's coming. And you may not see it right now, but man, doesn't the entire story of Jesus tell us this? That we go to the table. What does the table remind us of? Jesus took the bread, took the cup, broke it, shared the cup. That night he's betrayed. He's denied three times by the one guy who said, I'll never do it. Did not think he was poor in spirit. Lost everything that he would cling to to make himself special. Put on trial six times. Nailed to a cross, whipped and beaten. What do we call that Friday today? Good. Why do we call it good? Was it good that day? It's horrible. Why do we call it good today? Because Easter. Because the tomb is empty and the throne is occupied. And I take that hope no matter how my day looks. Ah, Easter's coming because I serve a king. I serve a king who defeated everything that's evil. That Tolkien said this, everything that's sad will come untrue. And that's the hope we have. Hashtag, the best is yet to come.